anybody who's been involved in Frank and been around Frank knows he's a maniac. And that this situation at hand is partially his fault. The judge says, I should throw both of you in in jail right now for contempt of court. And immediately one of them says, Frank Amadeo, Frank's a lawyer, Frank's a lawyer. And Frank stands up and he goes, I'm a lawyer, you're, you're, I'm a lawyer. And he says, I'm going to transfer all of these cases under your license. And it's going to be up to you to make sure that the filings get done. He almost immediately becomes one of the largest single lawyers in the area. Some of the people involved end up going to the police and saying, look, we gave these guys money and they just took off. And so several charges get filed. When they get to his wife, Claire, the probation officer tells her he's going to recommend 24 months probation. Claire, who's also a lawyer, says to the probation officer, you cannot give him probation. He'll never learn his lesson. You have to send him to prison. He has to go to prison. He has to know that his actions have consequences. Hey, I appreciate you guys uh, checking out the video. I am continuing the series on Frank Amadeo. It's insanity. And we're at the point now where Frank, let's see, um, Frank just got my sentence reduced. We talked about that part when that was in prison. So now we're going to go ahead and go back to when he was um, in Orlando. He was working for, so I, I believe by this point, Frank's father has passed away and he, he ends up getting a job at Hyatt Legal Services. So Hyatt Legal Services was owned by the same same people that started H&R Block, right? So it was supposed to be where it's like for the everyday average person that, which is, you know, like H&R Block, which for taxes, so that the average person could go and get their taxes done. Uh, with Hyatt, uh, with Hyatt, it was the same type of thing, but it was for, for people to get uh, bankruptcies. So if the average person wants to get a bankruptcy, like you would have, if you tried to do that yourself, like that's difficult to do a bankruptcy yourself. Hyatt was designed to kind of turn it into, you know, a mill, like very quickly be able to get people to train people to fill out the paperwork, to process it very quickly. Just like, you know, like a, like a tax service for their average everyday person. He came in there, he started working there and he was doing, he was doing fine. Um, he actually ends up meeting his, he meets, meets a Claire, which is, uh, he ends up marrying it's a she's a she's a, a lawyer she had just gotten her law degree and she was working there too I, he ends up meeting her i want to say they were married very quickly within a few months but initially he said i was there basically learning the ropes hyatt had gotten into trouble right like they they had gotten into a situation where they weren't they were taking in money with you have to think these are people people are coming to you that have have problems they have they have um you know they have money problems so you can't charge a lot of money or you're putting them on payment plans they're not paying you're not doing the work uh, and for a lawyer typically lawyers have to secure money their fee up front they can't just a lot of lawyers depends on the situation you can't just say hey they didn't pay me i'm going to stop working a lot of times it's just the the court's not okay with that well what's happened is there's 
tons of filings being done in the in the bankruptcy court, and then they're they're not following up with those filings because a lot of people end up stop cooperating with them. So finally, the the federal judge calls in the the owners of Hyatt. They call him in, and Frank goes in. Essentially, he said, "I went in to help carry some boxes." Like I'm really learning the ropes, but I don't really know much about the business at this point. It's only been a few months. So he goes in and we're talking about there's, there's multiple locations. He goes in, they go in with a bunch of boxes and files and the two owners of the business go in there and they, they get in front of the judge and as they're sitting there talking and explaining to the judge that they've mess, missed some deadlines and give them some more time and this and that, judge gets upset and says, which one of you guys is a lawyer? And neither of them were lawyers. So a lot like if you were to open, let's say, a medical clinic or even a, a hospital, I could open up a hospital. You hire doctors. It's a business. You don't have to be licensed to you don't have to be licensed as a doctor to own a hospital. So these guys don't even have law degrees. And they've, they're running this, this massive um, mill. So the judge gets really upset about this and says, why should, you know, you guys aren't even lawyers. You're in here talking to me about this. You're not lawyers. Like, why should, you know, who's representing these people? What lawyer is representing these people? And they did have some lawyers, but some of those lawyers were coming and going. So they don't really have a lawyer even there. And the judge says, I should throw both of you in in jail right now for contempt of court. And immediately one of them says, Frank Amadeo, Frank's a lawyer, Frank's a lawyer. And Frank stands up and he goes, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. And he says, I'm going to transfer all of these cases under your uh, um, under, under your license, and it's going to be up to you to make sure that the filings get done. So they very quickly beg Frank to do this um, because otherwise they're in a lot of trouble. You're running a law firm where you don't have enough lawyers to handle the volume of people that are coming in. You're running out of money, and you've got a judge ready to throw you in jail. So they make a deal with Frank right away. Frank takes over. And almost immediately, if you think about it, he becomes the largest. We're talking about hundreds of cases get put under Frank's uh, law license. So he almost immediately becomes one of the largest single lawyers, bankruptcy attorneys in the area or in the state. Well, what, what happens is he's running this this whole thing. Um, and within a, he runs it for a few years. He so, helps get everything straight. And within a few years, he ends up opening up his own firm. He goes off on his own and opens up his own firm with two partners. Not these two knuckleheads, two other knuckleheads. So he goes with these other guys. They open up a firm and he turns it into, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, ma- it, it becomes very quickly. He starts taking on just more and more clients, more than he can handle. You have to think Frank's bipolar, and when he's manic, he thinks he can do anything. So he starts promising things, and and he's very convincing. So you believe him because you could tell he believes himself. He's super confident. The problem is it doesn't always work out. So he takes over. So he brings a bunch of clients over from Hyatt. He then gets a bunch of new clients 
Hyatt actually goes up, ends up going under. He gets a bunch of new clients. His new clients are, um, you know, once again, bankruptcies are hard uh, to do, and you have to wait a long time to get the money from some of these clients. They can only pay so much up front. You put them on a payment plan. Sometimes they don't pay. So what happens is Frank's taking on more and more people. He's married and he ends up having, you know, he's juggling too much and he ends up going down a flight of stairs and he falls and he falls and he kind of like breaks his hand, like part of his hand. He, he sprains or yanks his, messes up his pinky and, and, but he's, they bring him to the hospital and, but he's, he's so out of it by the time he gets there, uh, they keep him in the hospital for a couple days and, or, or I'm sorry, like the next day he, they go to release him and he, and he won't leave. He won't leave the hospital. Like he, he's exhausted. He can't get up. He can't move. So Frank ends up having like a, a depressive episode and it's debilitating. And he, he told, he had had these types of episodes throughout his life where he had, he would go into like a stupor of depression for days and couldn't get out of bed. And at one point when he was younger, he, they thought he had like pneumonia or so they didn't know what the issue was. Well, he's in the hospital. He, he wouldn't leave. Like he just, he was almost comatose. And so they keep him there for a few days. The problem is this is in a period of time when people didn't think of mental illness, right? Like they're not thinking he's bipolar, like he's super successful. So the doctors aren't thinking, hey, this is this is a mental illness. Like this guy has an, has some issues. He needs to be medicated. And this is in the 80s. So people aren't thinking that early 80s. What happens is while he's there, his his two partners, which he basically said his two partners at this point, keep in mind, this is in the 80s. Cocaine is a big deal, right? Like turns out that both of his partners have drug problems. Frank's doing the bulk of the work. So when they have to step in for the next over the next week and kind of take over. It, it absolutely doesn't go well. Like they don't know the cases. They're not carrying their weight. They certainly can't carry the the weight of Frank. Frank works 70 hours a week. I mean, you can't. So how do you step in and take over those cases? So he ends up staying at home for a week or two, maybe three weeks. And by the time he gets back to the office, it's complete chaos. The His 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 partners are... are um, pulling money out of the various accounts that they have set up. Uh, they're not, they're missing filings. The whole thing starts to fall apart. Uh, so ultimately the business just collapses. Just, it just goes under. Um, these guys have a huge issue with one another. And Frank basically packs up his things and these guys pack up their thing. They, they leave, right? So, I, I, I can you imagine a, a, a bankruptcy law firm um, filing for bankruptcy. So they end up going under, they file for bankruptcy and, and nobody really like these guys are drug addicts. Like one of them ends up going into rehab. Uh, Frank basically just walks away from the whole thing and he's not right in, in his head. He's not realizing, Hey, I, I, 
that this is not going to take care of itself. So they all kind of walk away. It collapses. They've got their, their Frank's license is connected to all of these cases. And some of the people involved end up going to the police and saying, look, we gave these guys money and they just took off. And so several charges get filed by the U.S. Attorney's Office. So Frank takes off, walks away from the whole thing. His partners walk away from the whole thing. And the issue is this, that several of their clients go to the local authorities and they say, listen, you know, these guys took our money and they were supposed to file these pa- this paperwork. They're supposed to represent us in the bankruptcies. And they didn't. They just left. What's going on, YouTube? RDAP Dan here, Federal Prison Time Consulting. Hope you guys are all having a great day. If you're seeing and hearing this right now, that means you're watching Matt Cox on Inside True Crime. At the end of Matt's video, there will be a link in the description where you can book a free consultation with yours truly, RDAP Dan, where we can discuss things that could potentially mitigate your circumstances to receive the best possible outcome at sentencing or even after you've started your prison sentence. Prior to sentencing, we can focus on things like your personal narrative, your character reference letters, prepping you properly for the pre-sentence interview, which is going to determine a lot of what type of sentence you receive. If you've already been sentenced, we can also focus on the residential drug abuse program, how you can knock off one year off of your sentence. Also, we have the First Step Act where you can earn FSA credits while serving your sentence. For every 30 days that you program through the FSA, you can actually knock an additional 15 days off per month. These are huge benefits, and the only way you're going to find out more is by clicking on the link, booking your free consultation today. All right, guys, see you soon at the end of the video. Peace. I'm out of here. Back to you, Matt. One woman had given, had deposited something like thirty or $60,000 uh, into the law firm, and so in, as far as she's concerned, the money's gone. Well, you know, that they, these guys stole my money. Uh, when, when in fact the money went to bills and things of that nature. Uh, the problem is Frank's a lawyer. The two other partners are not lawyers. So they really kind of come after Frank. Well, Nancy Grace was the U.S. I'm sorry, not the U.S. attorney. She was the, um, she was the attorney, the state or county attorney. I think it was city attorney, maybe. She was basically the county attorney. So she, or district attorney. What am I saying? Sorry. I'm not used to state terms. Um, She was the district attorney and she formed two different grand juries and tried to get two different grand juries to indict Frank Amadeo. And the grand juries looked at all of the, looked at the case and said, look, we can't determine who took this money. We can't determine what happened. What we know is something happened. These guys missed a bunch of deadlines and the company went under and filed for bankruptcy, but we don't know that anybody took money. Like we don't know what happened. So, you know, Nancy Grace is trying to say that Frank Amadeo stole a bunch of money and took off and that, that, you know, she couldn't prove that in the, in the, under the state's um, legal system. So she takes her case and she goes to the U S attorney and the, and shows the U S attorney what happened, what she feels happened. The U S attorney takes it to a federal grand jury and gets an indictment against Frank for um, commingling client funds, which is a fancy way of saying you were using your client's 
money for something that it wasn't supposed to be used for. Like this was money that was supposed to go into a bank account and be used for legal fees or to pay bills for the for the for the client. According to Frank, he was he was in the hospital and at home when the, that money was taken out of the account. And that money was in an account with other funds, but somehow or another Nancy Grace and the and the US attorney decided to to focus on this one woman who had deposited 30 or 60,000. I don't know why I can't I can't remember which amount it was. So um, and that money was gone. I get maybe she was sympathetic. They put her in front of a grand jury. Like you feel bad for her. She was an older woman. Like, oh, he took my money. And they feel bad for her. So they indict Frank. Frank at this point has put together a little group of investors. And they're, they've decided, he has decided he's going to, that this bankruptcy thing is never going to work. He's never going to make enough money to do the things he wants to do in life. So he puts together a group of investors and they decide they're going to start buying up companies. They're going to start buying companies um, that are have that are having financial problems and they're going to use the bankruptcy laws to restructure those companies. So he's in the middle of just kind of putting this together when one day he gets a knock at the door. And this is be this would be at this point it'd be in the probably close to the 90s, late 80s, early 90s. He gets a knock at the door. It's two U.S. Marshals. They came to his house and uh, they said, yeah, we're here to arrest you on a fugitive warrant. A fugitive, it's kind of ridiculous. Like if you knew where I was, then why, why didn't you guys just send me the paperwork? Like Frank had no idea he'd been indicted. He had no idea that they were looking for him. And so he's not he's not a, a fugitive because he was never notified that he was indicted and they wanted him to come they, that that they wanted him to turn himself in. Instead, the U.S. Marshals show up and they arrest him and they bring him downtown. He's immediately released on his own recognizance. He's not a flight risk. But listen, anybody who's been involved in Frank and been around Frank knows he's a maniac, and that this situation at hand is partially his fault. Um, so he decides he's going to plead guilty. So he pleads guilty. And he tells me that he paid the, the woman back. He paid her back. He paid her all the money back. No. Well, okay. Maybe. I don't know. What I know is what, what I do know is this, that probation that he pled guilty to like one count of like wire fraud or something it's in the book um one count of wire fraud and the government the way it works is you plead guilty the government assigns you a probation officer the probation officer comes and interviews you your family members they look at all the things you do you've done they see what laws the the federal sentencing guideline rules apply to you so they look at what Federal sentencing guidelines applies to you, and they determine how much, uh, how much you should, how much of a sentence you should get. So, Frank um, pleads guilty. They go. They talk to him. They talk to his family members. They talk to the client. They talk to everybody. 
And he's pled guilty to 24 months of probation. So he doesn't have to go to jail. He's going to be a felon, but he's, he doesn't have to go to jail. When they get to his wife, Claire, the probation officer tells her he's going to recommend 24 months probation. Claire, who's also a lawyer, says to the probation officer, um, do, do not, you cannot, you, you cannot give him probation. He'll never learn his lesson. You have to send him to prison. He has to go to prison. He has to know that his actions have consequences. Amadeo was supposed to get 24 months probation, but Claire says, tells a probation officer, you can't give him probation. He has to go to prison. He has to know that his actions have consequences. So the probation officer ends up telling the judge that he needs that he believes that Frank needs to go to prison. So that the judge gives Frank a, a 12 month sentence. I believe it's 12 months of what they called a, a shock boot camp. So they send him to a camp, which is a, but it's a boot camp. And so this guy's like in his thirties at this point. And now that I think about it, this is actually later. This is by this point, it's in the late nineties. So probably like 97, 98, something like that. They end up, he ends up sending him to, uh, they end up sending him to this boot camp. He goes to the boot camp. I remember he said he showed up with Stephen Hawking's, like the theory of, I don't know, the theory of relativity or theory of time or theory of all things or whatever, some book Stephen Hawking had written um, and, and, the, and the Bible. And Amadeo said that he got there and they made him stand outside and like, 30 degrees um, waiting for hours and hours before they came out and the the warden came out because this is a small camp the the warden came out of the camp and after he'd been sitting sitting there for hours and he goes he said the only thing I hate worse than criminals is lawyers and you're both and he said listen this guy made my life miserable he said I mean they're waking him up at six o'clock He's running around. He's in his. He's in his. What? He, God, at this point, I guess Amadeo's in his late thirties or so. I, I don't know. I can't. I'm not going to do the the math. He's got to be in his late thirties by this point. Amadeo's in his late thirties by this point. Keep in mind, he was in it. Like Claire, his wife. Like he, he's his wife. This whole time, he said we used to sit around and have dinner, and he would talk about when he was going to take over the when he takes over the well, when I'm running things. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to do it like this, and I'm going to do this. And, and she would just grin and smile. At, like, like these people that are in his life, I, I don't want you to think that they didn't, like, like this was a delusion in his mind that he was harboring, but not telling anyone. He's very open about it. So he said, we would sit around, and we would have dinner, and we would joke about it, kind of laugh about it. And, and I interviewed people. When writing the book, I interviewed people that were business part partners of his. And I would say, well, I mean, you were aware of this, of this belief of his. I mean, and he says that he, you guys would talk about it. And he'd go, oh yeah, yeah, no, we all knew. And I go, so it was kind of like a running joke. Like you didn't, nobody believed it. He goes, no, no, we believed it. We believed that he definitely believed that. Like we would laugh about it and joke about it, but we knew he was serious. 
This is something he really believed. And and look, having been in locked up with Frank, I can tell you right now, he 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 does believe it. He's very serious. He'll joke joke about it, but deep down, he's he's honest about it. He really believes it. So he ends up going to prison, this boot camp, for 10 months, right? So he got 12 months, but you get a f- couple months off for good time. So he gets let out of prison. Um, And I want to say it was uh, 99, late. Late 1999 is when I think when he gets that. Because he was there for like a, almost a year. At this point, when he gets out, Claire was... Claire ended up going to somewhere in like... Somewhere in the stands, right? Like there's Kajikistan and, you know, all these different stands, countries, right? In, in the That had broken away from the Soviet Union or Russia. And so he goes there, or she ends up flying there. They were sending people, uh, lawyers, to these different countries to help set up their legal systems. And so she ends up, as soon as he's like, literally, as soon as I get home within a few days or a week or so, she was getting on a plane and leaving. So she left him there with, now she had two children from a previous marriage. So she takes off and he's left with their two kids on on probation to to basically fend for them. Uh so yeah, he he gets out and he does this and he he um uh he gets out and now he's out of prison. He's now a felon. He's out of prison. And what he does is he meets up with um he meets up with a guy that he had kind of started a little, according to Frank, he'd started a little business with, right? He had started a little business where this guy had come in and bought a bunch of inventory from one of of Frank's previous um, bankruptcy clients where Frank had invested money, he'd invested money. The guy bought a bunch of the guy, of this this company that was going under. They bought a bunch of inventory and this guy went and sold that inventory. Now, according to Frank, the, the guy's name is Yaniv. Frank got out, called Yaniv. They met at like a Denny's. Frank loves Denny's. Um or I don't think it was Waffle House. It's like it's I think it's Denny's. He loves Denny's. So, they go to Denny's, and while they're there, Yaniv pulls out like I don't know what it was, thirty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars in cash, and gives him like whatever it was, forty thousand dollars in cash, and says, "This is your part of of the stuff that that he had sold. The stuff he had sold. When I say what he sold, it, it, we're talking about like it was it was ridiculous. Like it was something like it was a massive amount of like." They were like gift baskets or something. Like it wasn't like it sounds nefarious, right? Like he sold a bunch of stuff, but it was like gift baskets or something. He had had some little company. He'd sold a bunch of gift baskets and Frank had put up a bunch of the money. And this is what, and this was Frank's part of that. That whole thing was going on when Frank left. So when Frank comes back, Yaniv's like, here's your money. And Frank said, I was shocked. He said, I didn't think Yaniv was going to give me anything. Like I disappeared. I hadn't done anything other than give him the money. I hadn't done like my part. Like Frank had a part that he was supposed to be involved in, keeping the books, uh, corporation, like a whole little thing. He hadn't done any of it. 
But it had worked out for Yaniv and he was happy. And he gave Frank, whatever, 30, 40 grand. I forget what it was. And so Frank had a little bit of seed money to start this, um, start, uh, start over again, which is hard getting out of prison. Uh, the next video is where Frank starts what's called um, Mirabilis. Mirabilis is the, this, the mega company that he creates that starts this, I'm going to say scam to get money to build this massive company that's designed to kind of take over. And it's funny because I always compare Mirabilis to Spectre. Like Frank creates this Spectre like James Bond. Spectre is the name of the organization that is hell-bent on world domination in James Bond. So he creates this Spectre-like company that starts buying up other companies. And that's what the next video is going to be. It's going to be about it's going to be about Mirabilis and how he starts Mirabilis and how it it just starts to blow up.